Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hey, everyone. Today we are doing the 1990 monster film Tremors. Directed by Ron Underwood, starring Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Michael Grove, Reba McIntyre, and a whole cast of uh, wonderful characters. This is a movie that Universal kind of just abandoned to the theaters in early 1990. They released it in January, which, especially at that, at that time, was the dumping ground for movies they had no faith in. Right. So it right. did not I remember it, this movie just kind of happening. Yeah, it they didn't advertise it much. They just kind of snuck it out. It didn't do well in theaters, but when they got around to putting it on video cassette, people found it and loved it. I think it made money in the box office. Um not like a ton because it didn't have any advertising like you. I remember it just existing. And and at the time, I don't I mean 1990 um, I, th- I think I'd only seen Kevin Bacon in maybe one other movie, maybe two. Um, Fred Ward, I would have seen, obviously, in, in Remo Williams, which we discussed earlier in the podcast. Um, I'm not sure what else. since. Th- so it's not like it had major star power for the 90s. Uh, it really wasn't advertised at all. And also, it was a monster movie, which just wasn't really done as much. Um, no, it was unexpected. Everything, movie. yeah, exactly. Um, uh, something right, something with this tone because it was straight. It was strange for me at the time because it's like, okay, when I finally saw it, I was like, okay, it's a monster movie, so I expect it to be a bit more like Alien. I expected it to be scarier than it was, and it's not not scary. There's an awful lot of really well done tense moments, tense moments in this, but there's enough humor that makes it still really fun. Yeah, I first saw this movie. I was in a video rental store, and this was one of the movies that was up at the counter for sale. Oh, wow. And it was, you know, it was $10, brand new. And I'm like, you know, it's a monster movie. It's $10. I was always looking for a new movie to buy to add to the library. So I said, what the hell? Bought it, watched it, and just fell in love with it because it's just so much fun. Absolutely. Uh, I had never seen anything like it until that point, at least not that I could quite remember. Like, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think I could remember something quite this much fun, quite this much surprising, uh, quite this much um, uh, surprise to it, knowing absolutely nothing from it and getting this much fun out of it. And it is an, it's kind of an homage to the old giant monster movies of the, you know, atomic era. Sure. You know, where it takes place in the desert and suddenly there's a giant monster in a small town and everybody's running off in a panic. And the and the desert, by the way, uh, one of the awesome things about this movie, the desert almost gets my Whit Bissell Award because the desert is practically a character in itself. Um, it's so beautiful. This movie's really well shot, um, I, I, you know, but the, the, the scenery of the desert is just it's just outstanding. Like the, the, the mountains and, and everything. I, I, I love just about every shot in this movie, especially when they're outside. Um, when you get the nice shots of these just giant majestic mountains that look like they could, you could just reach out and touch them, but are, you know, God knows how far away, <laughs> truly. Uh, I just, I don't know, I think to be like one main main character of the movie is the desert. Well, it's, it's, another- it's elements of it and everything, like everything's dusty, you can feel how hot it is, the beautiful mountains, I, I just love it. Another, you know, kind of character of the movie is almost the town itself. Yes. Because I always love like shows and movies like this where it's like an 
an incredibly small community. And this is a very small community of 14 people, I think the population yeah. of Perfection Nevada says. On the sign, yeah. And, you know, I love the, the Canadian TV show Corner Gas, which is, a, you know, small town com- community full of quirky characters. Gilmore Girls, Stars Hollow is, is, Stars Hollow is a small town community filled with quirky characters. Uh, New Heart. You know, the Vermont, I just love that type of, you know, oh, we're small town and this is how we do things here. And, you know, everybody knows each other and they're all, you know, they're all just kind of a little weird in their own way. Right. They're all, you know, they're all looking out for each other in their own way. And that's the other key to this movie is, you know, much like we mentioned in Return of the Living Dead. Yep. The monsters are the bad guys. Yes. There's no bad guy in this movie. There's no turncoat character that, you know, betrays the others and pushes them in front of the, you know, worms and is self-serving. I mean, there's some bickering and arguing. Sure. But that's to be expected. Sure. Everybody in this town, and and it leads to some really great scenes, everybody in this town is looking out for each other and they risk their lives to save each other. Oh, no question. I mean, the most self-serving anyone gets is um, deciding how much money they, they, they're going to get from uh, whatever this discovery is, you know, because at first they're just like, oh, we just, when they finally discover the creatures are like remnants of it, you know, they're, they're kind of haggling over like the, the, the price to pay for it because they can see the, the, the gain in it, you know, because they're in the middle of nowhere. And the movie starts off with the, with the two main characters, you know, deciding to leave the town for better pastures. So that's that's the kind of vibe that it starts off and sticks with and, and stays that way. And I appreciate that because a lot of movies, especially now, I think, would have tried to like overdo it. They would have tried to add some extra elements that just ultimately aren't necessary. In this case, you just take the characters for what they are. And what I like a lot about this movie, especially being a genre movie and a, and a, and a, um, a monster movie, is that the characters, they feel very familiar, which is to say somewhat stereotypical, but at the same time, not like insultingly so. They're all reasonable characters with reasonable choices and the dialogue makes sense. And, and I appreciate like that. I appreciate that. These are well-written characters. And the one unlikable character in the movie, Melvin. Is fairly unlikable. By, yeah. Like in a fair, but I mean, it's in a fair way, you know. But yeah, you still, he still gets his moments that you kind of like him. He still gets sure. these great moments in the movie. And, and, you know, he's a 16-year-old kid living in this nowhere desert community. Yeah, I can kind of see where he'd grow up to be kind of a pain in the ass. Absolutely. Like, one of my, you know, an example to me, that, uh, um, for those who've seen the show Dark Shadows, is uh, David Collins. Um, David Collins is such a pain as a kid, but at the same time, just a fantastic actor. And it's like... You, the, the times where you feel the way you feel, it's just be, it's the way the character is written, and you can just appreciate that with uh, Melvin. So the movie begins, as we said, it, it, it shows us our two lead characters, Val and Earl, played by Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, and they are basically the town's handymen. And they're setting up... Um, a fence for, you know, the cattle for, you know, Miguel owns cattle and they're just kind of putting up a barbed wire fence and discussing their lot in life. You know, they go from job to job, even within their small little town. And they each seem to have more ambition. And there is, I don't want to say 
there's kind of an Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy vibe between the two. You know, they're, they're, they're you um, know, almost, you can it, almost hear it sometimes, Fred Ward looking at Kevin Bacon and saying, this is another fine mess you've gotten me into. Yeah, like, I, I you know, there is that, there is, I don't know exactly the right pairing for the dynamic, because it's not like one is particularly dim-witted or troublesome, right? Uh, but they are, they are distinct and different. And um, one shame, I guess, spoiler about this is that we don't get to see them again. Um, you know, I would have even liked to see them paired up in just another movie because I, I think they worked really well together. I would like to see them buddy up in something else. Yeah, but it really works. I mean, Fred Ward does kind of play the older, wiser one of the right. two. Right. It's a more older, younger dynamic, more like older and, you know, versus brash dynamic, but not like, again, he's constantly getting him into trouble or anything like that. Like, there's a mutual respect there. Right. They're, oh, they're friends. Yeah. And, you know, Fred Ward is, uh, you know, is the one usually offering kind of the sage advice and he's looking out for Kevin Bacon who, you know, again, isn't dim witted, but doesn't really think things through and is maybe a bit more, you know, impetuous. Well, yeah, but right away, right away we see they have this little thing between the two of them where they're always, you know, doing odds and evens to kind of choose who has to do, you know, the, the, the crummier part of the job. Right. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're roommates, apparently. I mean, it seems like they, they it seems like they live together. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I just love their dynamic. I would have, I would have been happy to see more of that because uh, they genuinely are looking out for each other. They genuinely do care about each other. Um, you know, a lot of movies, if um, a lot of movies might've made the dynamic, you know, considerably different, even, uh, you know, potentially even hostile, but, you know, later when, um, when the love interest appears, you know, it's not a, it's not a thing where it's like a love triangle or a battle, you know, no, um, it's, it's, he's, he, you know, it seems like Earl is genuinely happy. Val is finding someone who seems to be interested in. Well, yeah. Uh, Earl seems to be, you know, like his, he wants, he, he wants, wants what's something good for him. Yeah. Yeah. He wants Kevin Bacon to find happiness and, and settle down with a nice girl. Right. Like he's, you know, he's not, he's not happy, but they're not jaded either, which, which I appreciate. No, no, but there's, like I said, there's two little things where they choose, you know, throwing odds and evens to choose up, and they're also always, like, patting their pockets, because one has the cigarettes, and the other has the lighter. Yes, yes, yeah, it's a weird dynamic. If you pay attention in this movie, you will show they made a supreme effort in continuity to make sure whoever had the lighter at the end of the last scene has it at the beginning of the next scene. They do an ex. It's actually important to the plot, so they did an excellent job of keeping track of that. Yeah, the way this movie flows, um, I mean, these are all things I don't think I noticed, you know, back in 1990, and probably not even watching it a couple of times since, you know, until now, and we started watching it more critically. But the way this movie flows from scene to scene just works so well. They do um, an excellent job of, you know, I, I'm going to say introducing the entire town, of 14 people. <laughs> right. But they also, even without any real exposition, you learn who everybody is in yes. this town and what they have to contribute to the town. Yes. So. And no one they, seems out of place. You know, no one's ridiculous. Um, it's, 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 again, it's, it's refreshing to see. Yeah, they're all kind of, you know, they obviously have chosen to live in the middle of nowhere in this isolated small community 
for their own reasons, but they get along and everybody has a job. Like right. Val and Earl are the handymen, you know. Right. You get the impression they basically keep the town running. And, you know, one of the things they're discussing at the, the beginning of the film as they're driving along is like, oh, wait, what's our next job? And Fred was like, it's Wednesday. So we got to do Nestor's trash today. And he doesn't want to do, Kevin Bacon doesn't want to do the trash. He's like, oh, Burnt Heather's place is closer. Let's put their linoleum in and do the trash tomorrow. And of course, Fred Ward, who was thinking, you know, like, no, if we don't do the trash today, we don't get paid today. You know, you got to think of these things, Valentine. You know, here it is Wednesday, and I'm already thinking to Thursday. It is Wednesday, right? Yeah. You do get the you do get the feeling that kind of that kind of place and that kind of life like it's pretty easy for one day to blend into the next. Yeah. Well, and then again, this establishes that Nestor obviously runs a salvage landfill in their little community, probably because we 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 never see Bixby, but Bixby is the nearby. I don't know whether they they don't really refer it as the big city, but it's the nearby town. It's like the more established. You, you get the idea. It's the next like population outpost, yeah. Like where where like there's actual services, like a police station, probably. You know. So it wouldn't surprise me if Nestor, you know, gets money from Bixby to take the town's trash and and, and dispose of it. Yeah, good point. And you know, so as you know, it cuts to them working on the trash. They keep talking like, "Man, we got to do something more with our lives." And each arguing like, "Well, you're the one holding us back." Well, no, you're not. And then it cuts to them. You know, of course, their next job where they're emptying a septic tank and who unfortunately the pump they're using busts and they get uh they get an unpleasant shower yeah i think for years i thought that was oil i'm not sure i ever really realized what that was fortunately it does look like oil you know if you don't know they're doing it (laughs) cleaning out a septic tank yeah you know and they it's nice because it makes it it makes it like you know it's gross, but it doesn't feel or look gross. It's yeah, they don't overdo it. It really looks again. Like it they stands for itself with with oil. You could, for all you know, think they were like, oh, maybe they were pumping oil into an oil furnace, but no, it, yeah. it was unfortunately a you know a septic. Uh, you know, this is also where we first meet Melvin, the obnoxious teenager of the town, uh, played by. Bobby Jacoby, who's my Whip Bissell Award winner, specifically because he is playing the unlikable character, you know, the character probably nobody really wants to play. And he does a great job of you want to smack him, but then other times you just want to kind of like, you know, tussle his hair and say, all right, kid, go, go on. Well, eventually you get like, you know, this is how he deals with this trauma, you know, um, this is, you know, this is who he is. But again, at the same time, you can appreciate that the reactions are based on how well he is acting the part. Well, and also for many years. And that's years, that's worth appreciation. For many years, I should say for over 30 years, I was under the misconception that Melvin was Nestor's kid. Yeah, I think that's Because you don't see Melvin's parents and he's not mentioned. But it right. wasn't until recently I saw on on Twitter, one of the, um, uh, I think it was the son of director Ron Underwood. And Ron Underwood and S.S. Wilson are also the screenwriters and creators of Tremors. There was a scene 
that explained that Melvin's parents are off in Vegas. Oh. And as you know, it's, it's a, it was a deleted scene where Fred Ward and, and Kevin Bacon are like, jeez, oh, why don't his parents ever take him with them when they go to Vegas? And of course, Earl says, do you really have to ask that question? <laughs> right. It's, right. it's a minor scene, but it does, you know, for years, it's just like, why is this lone kid in the town? No, his parents are away for a weekend in Vegas, apparently. I, I think alternate. Um, I either alternately just assumed he was um, the little girl's brother there, or um, again, the parents were just like nearby and you just never saw them. No, I, again, I, and when we get to it, I'll explain even further why I thought he was Nestor's kid. Sure. So, after getting their little, uh, you know, their crappy shower, we shall say, they have decided that's it. We're out of here. We're packing up. We're going to go to Bixby, maybe get real jobs and live the life in in Bixby. You know, almost the equivalent of the small town girl saying, I'm going to go to New York City or I'm going to go to L.A. L.A. and be an actress. and, 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 you know, yeah. So, they they're packing up to, oh, you know, we skipped a scene where they go to Chang's um, general store, you know, where we meet another one of the town's residents, uh, Chang, played by Victor Wong, who most famously was Egg in Big Trouble in Little China. We meet him and two of the best characters in the movie. And my probably, actually, I think maybe co-Whitbissell Award winners, but um, I suppose it, I suppose it goes to Michael Gross, especially because like the series literally becomes about him. Well, and not only that's how much he steals the show. (laughs) We knew him as the hippie father, dad, and family ties. Yes, family ties. This was a blast to see. Family ties, where he was the very liberal, you know, person, and here he is, the conservative, you know, completely different person, like tremendous actor, (laughs) survivalist. You know, with with his wife played by Reba McIntyre, Heather and Burt Gummer, and they are fantastic characters. And they're, you know, he's picking up the bullets and he's like complaining to to, yes. to Chang, like, yeah, these are hollow points, but they're not hydroshock hollow points. And Chang's like, well, I thought bullets were bullets, right? And you know, we we see that you know that that you know they Val and Earl like to poke fun at you know their lifestyle of being survivalists and, you know, kind of paranoid and ready to take on any invasion of either a foreign government or or even our own government that might decide, you know, eminent domain. Because, again, we skipped another scene <laughs> introduced the, the other lead played by Finn Carter, Carter uh, Rhonda. As they're driving back to town, we meet Rhonda who is not a resident of the town. She's a college student who studies uh, geology seismology. and seismology. And she's there, you know, for her semester thesis, checking on the seismographs that the local college has. And, you know, that's when Burt Ward is saying, when we first meet, I was like, you know, one of these college kids, they find oil out there. Next thing we know, the government's knocking at our door, eminent domain. I mean, and he's not they, wrong. They poke, they, they poke fun at him like, you know what? If you don't settle down, Bert, you're going to die of a heart attack before you have a chance to survive World War Three. 
To which, you know, he laughs. Like, that's the thing. Like, Bert, he is what he is, but he's also, he's got a sense of humor. Yeah. Like, he's not a monster. He's paranoid, but he's not a monster. And we we learned that this community, you know, as much as they may get on each other's nerves, they do care about each other. They do look out for each other. Right. Because, like, Bert could have, especially now, like, Bert could have been played as, like, a real bastard. And and, uh, you, you don't really know for sure why he's there or what he does but he's clearly got money i mean you get the impression he's there well, because again he's 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 a he's clearly preparing for some sort of like disaster they, um, they, they specifically say it in the movie that you know the reason he and heather are there is because there's cliffs to one side mountains to either side it's right. geographic isolation right right um so yeah, and, and yeah, like the, you know, they could lean into that much further than they do, which they don't. They just leave it at that. Like that's just what it is. They're out there because you know they're they're paranoid, and this is just the way they live. But they're not mean. Like they're they're they you know they they the townsfolk know them, uh, such as the few that there are, and they get along with them. Yeah, you know, he's not again. He's not a monster. So. As they finally decide they're going to head out of town, they're stopped by. Mindy's the daughter, Nancy. I always Nancy, get them, yeah. Nancy runs up to the truck, and she obviously does pottery, and she's, like, telling them, I got a big order, and I need my new kiln put in, so will you guys, you know, I, um, you know, it's going to be a month's work, and I'll throw in lunches and beer, and they're both like, no, sorry, we're, we're packing up and heading to Bixby Permanent, permanent. And at first she thinks they're joking. Then she sees that they have everything they own in the back of the pickup. And she's like, oh, my God, you are going. Are you sure? You know, lunches and beer and it's a month's work. And then it cuts to them driving off like, we looked temptation in the face and we did not cave. We're heading to Bixby. We are out of perfection, Nevada, for the rest of our... Hey, look, at there's a guy up there on the water on that electrical tower. I mean, I I think they're pragmatically speaking. I think they're being a little short-sighted. I would have taken the month's work and then go to Bixby. Yeah, yeah, but then you know, I think what they saw was they would stick once, around. Yeah. Once you decide to stay, there's always another right. reason. Not there's always going to gonna be another thing, and then another thing, and then another thing. Yeah. Which, is, which I get. Like that's that's how I read it for them leaving. But I'm also thinking, like, man, you guys need the money. Like you were talking about just a few hours ago, how you were down to like three dollars. So. Yeah. <laughs> You know, suddenly Burton and and Heather want to expand their rec room, which we will get to. Um, oh, and that produces know. one of the best lines of the movie. So, so you know, they decide to go on that, but that's when they see a guy. At first, they think it's a uh, an electrical worker, and then Kevin Bacon's like, "No, that's Edgar Deems." And they pull over and like, "Oh, because Edgar Deems is another resident of the town who's." Apparently must be kind of the town drunk and, and hermit, if you can have a hermit in that community. And they climb up to go get him. They're like, oh, he must have been really drunk this time, and we can't leave him. And again, it shows you how much they care, because they could have just kept going. They could have just kept going on to, it's not our problem that Edgar Deans yeah. got drunk and climbed up. No, no, we can't leave him up there. If he's drunk, he'll fall and get hurt. Keep going, you know, call for help, whatever. Um, One and, of us has to go up there and get him. Of course, they right because he's clearly him. not answering. You know, so Kevin Bacon climbs up, and of course, they find he's dead. So they drive him off to the—I don't know if he's the resident doctor. He must—he must be fairly new because they are 
building their home on the outskirts of perfection. So they're even looking, you know, this, this doctor and his wife are even looking to be further from, you know, even, well, I guess maybe between Bixby and perfection, he's probably, maybe he might be a doctor in Bixby, doesn't want to live in Bixby, but doesn't want a huge commute. I mean, you know, it, it, it may not be for anybody, but like, again, I, I see this, the, the, the beautiful scene shot in this movie and I'm like, I, I get it. There, there is well, like they, a certain calling to it. You know? They do later discuss the stars and yeah. how beautiful it is. It's like, I get and it. We know Bixby is a 38, is 38, 39 miles away yeah. from perfection. So if he's halfway between Bixby and perfection, a 20 mile commute isn't that big a deal. No. No, I mean, you figure there's no traffic. I mean, we're that's further than us to Boston, but depending on the day and time, it'll take hours to get there. Right. And let's face it, there's not going to be much traffic between Bixby and Perfection. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like 40 miles is, you know, I mean, it's a decent trip, but yeah, it can't be too bad. So they bring the body of, of Edgar to the doctor and they're like, you know, well, what did he die of? A heart attack? And he's like, well, that's what I thought at first, but no, he died of dehydration. And they're like, dehydration? Doesn't that take a while? And he's like, yeah, as many as three or four days. And they're like, so he climbed up on the electrical tower and then just died of thirst? And they're like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but that's... And meanwhile... The, the dead body was holding a Winchester rifle. So after they've established that, and they, again, they continue to try to get to Bixby, they're discussing it. Like, somebody had to have chased him up there, and Fred was like, who chases, what, somebody who wasn't afraid of a Winchester rifle chased him up there? And then what did they do, camp out down below and wait until he died of thirst? This doesn't make any sense. And, you know, they're drive a little further and that's where they come to old Fred who was a sheep herder and they see all the sheep have been slaughtered like they just see like blood torn and up. body parts yeah. and like something like, came through and just torn it all apart yeah like you know and they, they're running out there like what the heck is going on they're running around calling for Edgar and they're like this is strange I mean this is really strange and they see Edgar hat lying in the middle of the sand and they pick it up and there's Edgar's head on underneath it which scares the heck out of them of course and they go it's a know, gruesome they, sight yeah and you know we know as the audience that he was sucked underground but they assume it's his decapitated head so they right. run back to the truck and they're heading back to perfection to warn people they pass, you know, a road crew on the road yelling like, you know, be careful, guys. There's a maniac around somewhere cutting people's heads out. Look out for yourself. And they take off back to perfection. And then again, we see the road crew like, well, what was that all about? And they continue working. And the guy on the jackhammer jackhammers into something that bleeds. And, you know, they're both killed by the, again, at this point to us, unseen monster. But again, we, we know it's an underground monster. Right, right. Because we're getting shots, uh, you know, evocative of Jaws. Only slightly so, above ground, because that would make more sense. Yes. There isn't much to see through dirt. Which, you know, as the screenwriters and creators have said, that they did base this on one time. They were just, you know, sitting on a rock. And one of them was like, what if I couldn't get off this rock? Because there was some sort of land shark 
that, you know, yeah. had me trapped up here. You know, the genesis of, of the movie. So they get back to perfection and, you know, basically the town hall is Chang's, you know, general store. And we, this is where we meet Miguel complaining to Chang that, you know, I'm not accusing anybody, but some of my cattle are missing. And again, we know as the audience, they're probably being attacked by the, as they will be called, graboids. Graboids, yes. Uh, Val and Earl come storming in like, we need to use your phone. Somebody killed old Fred, you know. Well, old Fred's dead? Yeah, it's worse than Edgar Deems. Edgar Deems? What yes. happened to Edgar? You know, everybody's confused. And, you know, they're trying to call. This is all in one day. Yeah. Well, all in a few hours. Right. So they're, they're, they're caught trying to call the police, but you know, Chang, your phone's dead. I didn't do it. <laughs> We know the lines are down because of, and you know, that's another, well, we'll get to that. We know the lines are down. So the, now the entire community that is there is together and they're trying to discuss things like, you know, like somebody that they think it's a murderer. They tell Nestor says, Val, Earl, you got to get your butts to Bisbee and you got to get the police on here and you got to step on him, like consider it stepped on. So, they go driving off, and of course, now we know that the Graboids created kind of a, an avalanche in the hills that has now blocked off the only road out of town. Right. They at first think that the uh, road crew had somehow caused it. Yes. And then when they see the bloody helmets, Earl is like, Val, Val, we, we, we got to get out of here. And... Bloody, bloody and chunky. Um I mean, it's not. I wouldn't class this movie, classify this movie as gory, but it doesn't necessarily lack gore. <laughs> it's PG thirteen. Yeah, and I'd say that's a, I'd say that's about right, but it's it's pretty juicy. If you notice, there's some odd language choices in this movie. Yes, where they will say some weird exclamations. That is, be, that is because the movie was originally rated R because the amount of f bombs originally used. And they're like, well, we, this movie doesn't need to be rated R because of the F word. So they dubbed over it with, you know, less coarse language. Oh, right on. Which is why they use the term mother humpers and, you know. I mean, it, it seems at once out of place and also not. <laughs> I never, like, you know, it's, it's like you notice it, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't like take you out it, of the movie or anything. It almost really feels like that would be the word Burt Gummer would use. For sure, yeah. So now they have to head back to perfection to, to war. And, you know, first they think they're hung up because the truck is stalled out. and You know, they're arguing and bickering and they pull off. And it's like, you know, I, you could break an axle doing that. I don't need to spend the night out here. It's like, I told you we're not hung up. Crowd. It just shows you this great dynamic between the two of them. Yes. Even further. They get back to perfection and everybody's like, what are you guys doing back here? And they're like, the road's out and the crew are dead. And it's Mindy, the little girl who we've seen mostly on a pogo stick linked to her, her headphones and obviously trying to break some sort of record on, of pogoing. Because when we first meet her, Fred Woods, like, hey, Mindy, what's the count? And she's like 687, you know, hopping around on her pogo stick. Cute little girl, you know, probably about eight or nine, you know, so th- one of the two children of the movie between 16 year old Melvin and and her and again this is a community of people who you know 
for the most part, probably don't want to raise kids. And it doesn't seem like Melvin's parents want to raise kids. Right. Only Nancy and her, you know, she very loving of her daughter. Very Every time you see her, she's kind of got her arms around, almost like she moved out there to be more protected of her, of her daughter. Sure. And you get the sense that they get along. Yeah. So again, it's not something where the movie felt like it had to throw in some subtext there. Like this is, you know, again, it seems like in a modern film, everything would have such like heavy subtext. <laughs> Every yeah. single character would have some weird backstory and heavy subtext where it's just like, no, nah, it's just a mom and a kid. So when Mindy sees this large snake-like thing attached to the underside of Valinor's truck, they realize, well, at first they're confused about what it is. Sure. You right, because they're like, like, is it a snake? No, it looks more like an eel, which it does. But then it's like, well, we're in the desert. Is it, is it some sort of mutation? Yeah. And while everybody's trying to figure out that, Chang is like, I'll give you guys Chang, $5 for this. Right. <laughs> and, and Kevin Bates is like, 20 Okay, 10, 15, okay, 15. And Nancy's like, you guys, really? This is what you're concerned about right now? We've got dead bodies and obviously some sort of mutated snake. And you guys are haggling over, you know, this snake thing. Well, well, plus the look that they give each other and the celebration they give after getting that $15 agreement, it's you get the feeling that they're going to start lighting cigars with it. <laughs> like they just made the big time. Yes. So now they are under the, you know, like if this thing stalled out your truck, it has to be really strong. And just one of these didn't eat up Edgar's entire flock of sheep. There must be a bunch of them out there and we'll have to, you know, you know, Bert and and Heather get instantly excited. We're going to set up perimeters. We're going to set watches. You know, we're at war with these snake things now. So. The town decides it's probably best if Val and Earl take a couple of Walter Walter Chang's horses and ride to Bixby, since now driving to Bixby is out to get the authorities. And they head out to do that on horseback, and they are attacked by the monster. Uh, the monster kills one of the horses and ends up chasing them. And again, this is where you really see the brilliance of the filmmakers because they're being chased by an underground monster. And what they do is they give us these great visual cues of the monster's movement yeah. underground, either by fence posts being knocked over or a dust trail or all these other things. They don't have to show us the monster. They just use these neat little effects. Right, right. And it's, it is very effective. Uh, it becomes the signature of the movie, and um, you do get you do get the sense of knowing where it might be, which is kind of fun. Yes. So it's chasing Val and Earl, and they come to this this uh, ditch that is probably some sort of drainage ditch. It's a, a it's a I don't know, about I would say six or seven feet deep and walled in by concrete that they have to now jump in order to escape the monster chasing them. They don't fully make the jump, but the monster chases them, rams itself into the reinforced concrete, killing itself. And as they're celebrating their victory, they're like, good thing we killed it before it got anybody else. Rhonda shows up, and they, they start digging this thing up and looking at it. And here's the other great thing about Rhonda. In, in the old movies, yeah. Rhonda being a college student would know everything. Right. Here, she uses her knowledge to try to 
come to conclusions, but when they're constantly asking her these questions, she's like, I, I don't know. Why, <laughs> right. why does everybody keep asking me? Why do you keep asking me? She says to Val at some point, you which know. is, it's, it's greatly delivered. And it's like, and you, and you, you know, immediately you're like, yeah, that's a good question. Actually. She, why would she know? And you know, when they dig up the monster to get a better look at it, they're all like, you know, Fred Ward's like, you know, Rhonda, you ever seen anything like this before? And Val, yeah. very sarcastic, of course, Earl. We all know about him. Just nobody's told you. Right. And Rhonda basically starts making the point, like, wow. I mean, this is just incredible. No wonder my seismographs have been going off all crazy. I mean, this thing was setting off seismographs all over. And then she stops and she's like, uh, guys, according to my calculations, there's at least three more of these things. Because I got this seismograph over here going off at this time. And at the same time, three miles away, there's another one. And then there's, yeah, 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 we'll take your word for it. And, you know, where's your truck? We got to get back to town again to warn people. And they end up being chased by yet another graboid. And they have to spend, they, the three of them get to this big boulder they get up on. There's a great scene where they're all talking and and coming to you know conclusions about things and Val and Earl kind of not Val and Earl Val and Rhonda get you know a little lovey dovey all to the smiles of of Fred Ward and they realize even though they've waited up on that rock all night the graboid has been there waiting for them to come down so they're like well that's why Edgar Deans never got off the tower. What are we going to do? We, we, we got to get out of here. Rhonda, where's your truck? Well, it's parked all the way over there. Well, maybe we can make a run for it. And this is one of my favorite lines, not only in yeah. this movie, but in any movie ever, is when Fred Wood says, running's not a plan. Running's what you do when a plan fails. I love that line. Yep. And while they're bickering, Rhonda comes up with, there was a fence being built nearby. And there's these big, long poles that were being used to build the fence. And she's like, you know what? Let's just pull, pull vote from boulder to boulder and, and, and my truck's parked right near them. And that's how they make their escape by pole vaulting. And again, it's a great scene played to great music because the music here, for, especially for the scene, is very light and yep. entertaining. They make it to their truck. They make it back to town. And everyone's like, well, what are you guys doing back now? It's like, well, we got news. It's not a bunch of little snakes. It's a couple of giant monsters that are under the ground. They sneak up on you and they pull you down under. And that's when they start making a plan of, okay, maybe we can make it to the mountains to the old Jeep trail and hike along the Jeep trail to Bixby to get help. Melvin, well, you know, Again, and we always like to leave more for people to watch. I can't believe there'd be many people who haven't seen this movie because it is a beloved monster movie. But I guess it depends on the. I guess it depends on a lot of factors. How old you are, what kind of movies you're into. Um, I mean, I would imagine it might be on a list of movies folks would want to see if they knew more about it, um, for sure. Or you know, perhaps it's on a list but they haven't seen other stuff yet. But. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm glad to talk about it. Because, yes, it was it was known for... It's, it's sort of like Highlander in that if you saw it, you knew it and you really liked it. Uh, like, I don't know what many people who haven't liked this movie when they saw it. 
um, you know, unless they just weren't into it in the first place, in which case I'm, maybe I don't know why they've seen it. But um, it, I mean, it spawned several sequels and a TV show, so it's certainly popular enough. But I, I don't hear it talked about a great deal. Well, actually, and, and I'll point this out right now. Uh, Michael Gross himself hosted a seven-part podcast called Tremors Making Perfection, which is about the making of Tremors. It's an excellent podcast. Oh, awesome. So if you're a fan, I recommend you seeking that podcast out. And it's about making the first one? Yes. Oh, neat. Okay. So Melvin has been screwing around and screaming like, oh, I'm being attacked. And everyone's like, oh, you know, uh, they just keep getting madder and madder, which he just keeps enjoying more and more. So he goes out and, you know, they hear him scream again. And they're like, that's it. I am going to kick his ass. And Val's like, yeah, and I'm going to help you. So they go storming out of Chang's store, and they're like, where is he? And then they look up, and they see him, like, shaking as he's climbed up the signpost. And Fred Ward's like, Melvin, get down from there. I'm going to. And that's when it dawns on him why he climbed up that post and is shaking. The three graboids all lead an attack on the town, and everybody goes running and scattering. Everybody get inside. Get inside. Again, and it shows you the people like watching out for each other and, and like, you know, is every, you know, when Miguel is the first one to the door, he stops and looks back and is waving everybody else in. He's not just looking out for himself. Right. They're all inside and Ron's like, everybody's got to be quiet. Everybody's got, you know, they, they can't find us if we're not making noise. And that's when they all hear the telltale sound of little Mindy on her pogo stick. Yes making noise and they all kind of head out and they're like but she's got her headphones on too so she can't hear them and they're trying not to make too much noise and again Val not even thinking goes sprinting off to rescue her as they see the dust trail of, of one of the grab wives going towards her he grabs Mindy at the last second and they turn they see the pogo stick is standing up by right. itself because the graboid had got it just seconds, or maybe at the exact time. I think it was at the exact time. Rescued her. And again, there's the attack, and everybody, uh, Nancy and Mindy go running into their house. Nestor goes running into his trailer. Melvin heads into what seems like a tool shed. And Rhonda, Val, Earl, Miguel, and Walter Chang all end up in the convenience store. When the soda machine starts making noise and rattling, which again, brilliantly, they established this earlier in the film yep. that the soda machine was constantly, you know, making noise. Yep. Chang wanted them, uh, Val and, and Earl, to look at it, but they're like, nope, no time. No, no time. We got to go there. And Val's like, oh, yeah. We always plan ahead our job so we don't have to do anything right now. Right. Earl explained it to me. Great dialogue in this movie. <laughs> it really is. Well delivered, too. Kevin, everybody's awesome, but Kevin Bacon is, is having a blast on this. So they go rush into the soda machine to unplug it, but unfortunately they're just a few seconds too late, and Walter Chang is killed. And again... They all throw themselves at this. They try to rescue him. They're pulling out of him. Yeah, that was a tough one. 
and they're they're trying to pull him free. Nobody gives up trying to save him. Yeah. Nobody stands back in terror. Especially that, because like you know, it's it's you think he's safe for a moment, and yeah, uh, yeah. And and Miguel is knocked roughly into the the shelves when when Chang is pulled underground. And, and Kevin Bacon is yelling at this thing as it goes away. They are so angry that another one of, the, of them had been taken. Right. There were some, like, really um, gruesome, mostly in, in thought, right? Um, like, there's not, again, it's it's this blood in the movie, but it's not, like, hyper gory. Like you mentioned, it's PG-13. Um, and and just tragic attacks. And this is, like, all the characters, even the ones that you only know for a minute are either likable or you don't know to not like them. You know, you can you can identify with them. Um, and you know, even in light of all that, like it, it was, I don't know, Chang's is, Chang's is the one that probably hit me the most. I, I, I want to point out, we actually skipped over one of the scariest attack sequences in the movie. And I purposely did that this time, as opposed to when we skipped over things previously, mm. this time, I want to say I purposely skipped over one of the scariest attacks in the movie. So if you, if people, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it might be a nice little, you know, edge of your seat ride for you. Sure. So after Chang is pulled down and they realize that more monsters, they're going to come through the floor. Kevin Bacon sees that there's a hatch up to the roof and they're like, everybody up on the roof. And as uh, Miguel Bacon and Ward make it up onto the roof, Rhonda, who's up on one of the, the store shelves and get knocked over domino style. She ends up being knocked through the window of the store and Bacon's, climbs up yelling don't stop moving don't you can get up and then he looks down and you see she's not there and then he quickly looks up and right next to the store is the town's water tower and Rhonda has made her climb and again, that's another great thing about this movie is another movie might have made uh, Rhonda a damsel in distress who right. uh, you know no she keeps her head in fact she kind of keeps her head better than anybody else in this movie sure yeah, and, or, yeah, they would have had it like, you know, standing there hesitating, looking in each direction, tripping over stuff, you know. Yeah, no, it, she, it's a lot of her plans that help them, you know, get out of this. No one, and no one really dies like dumb in this either. No. You know what I mean? It's a situation that they were just screwed. Like, yes. that's just how it was going to go. There's really nothing you could have done. So they're all up off the ground, and that's when they start yelling to everybody. You know, Melvin is like, hey, where is everybody? And they're like, Melvin, shut up and get up on the roof. Get up on the roof, man. Why? No. And then he gets, you know, the, the, the worms comes towards him, and he climbs up. That would the, be the only way my fat butt is getting up on the roof that quickly. Yeah, you might suddenly find the strength, yeah. You know, I... <clears throat> Excuse me. I might even make the vertical leap to get up on the roof. And then they start yelling across, you know, everybody get up on your roof. Get up on your roof. Nestor gets up on his and uh, Nancy and Mindy get up on, on theirs. Meanwhile, Bert and Heather, you know, our survivalists have been driving around, you know, searching for the worms that they think are above ground snakes. So they don't know what's going on. They, they've missed all this. And as they pull into their, I'm going to call it a compound, yeah. bunker, their survival house, Heather looks out at the town because they're a bit farther off and she sees that everybody's on the roof. And they're like, she, she goes into Fred Ward, who's like, you know, uh, not Fred Ward, Bert, um, 
Michael Gross and stuff. Something weird's going on. They're all up on the roofs. So he gets to their CB radio calling to um, Walter CB radio. And they did establish early in the movie that the mountains block a CB broadcast. So they can't use these to call for help outside the valley. And he calls Chang like, guys, what's going on? Anybody answer? Uh, they lower Val over to the window because fortunately the CB radio is by one of the windows. And he gets the, the CB up on the roof. And that's when he calls Bert. You know, we're in trouble. You need to you need to get up on your roof. You know, these things are underground monsters. You guys got to get up there. And, of course, Bert's not paying attention. He's like, Val, what are you doing back in town? You're supposed to be in Bixby. And like, forget about it. Now, you would explain to me that there's this rock tumbler thing that Heather pours these spent cartridges into. Yeah. To and she sets that off, to, and that starts making this grinding, this very loud vibration noises. And of course, the worms hear that. One of the worms hears it and starts making a beeline for Bert Heather's place. And that's when Kevin's desperately on the radio. It's like, "You guys got to get on your roof. They're coming at you right now. They're coming at you. You got to be ready." Well, they start. You know, locking and loading. They go to their windows and they're like, you know, ready to take on anything that's coming on at them. And Brett's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. We don't see anything. And that's there. You go. They're under the ground. They're under. And that's when their wall comes crashing down, and the monster bursts through. And you hear Bert on the CB yell, "Jesus!" And they're cut off. And I know the Just first dead time silence. I watched this movie, that's a wrap for Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre, right. you know? And because, again, in most movies, the survivalist, you know, the, the, the badass with the guns is usually one of the first to go. And usually in some sort of comedic fashion, yeah, or vaguely And everybody fashion. hangs their head because they think Bert and Heather, and that's when they start hearing the gunfire. And it cuts to them just blazing away <laughs> at this thing that has come through. And again, one of the great shots in the movie yes. is after they empty their rifle, it pans back to the wall behind it. To a wall full of guns. Arsenal. <laughs> yeah. It is just fantastic. And they just keep picking up guns and unloading into it, you know, blasting the tongues off. They, you know, they're firing Uzis. They're they're firing. You know, oh, they got yeah. He's got assault rifles. They got everything. He finally decides. Well, you know what? Time to go for the elephant gun, which you know is like this is the best day in my life. I've been oh, yeah. waiting to fire this elephant gun at something for the longest time. Oh yeah, he's got it in a case. Yeah, he fires into the elephant gun, and that kills it. And they embrace. And again, another one of the greatest lines ever. He <laughs> yells at that thing. Yes. Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't ya? You bastard. Love it. That's when they pick up the CB radio and they Perfectly announce the delivered. town. We killed it. We killed that mother humper. And they all celebrate. They're clapping like, all right. You know, they killed it. They killed it. And then they call it beware, guys. There are two more, repeat, two more Mother, Mother Humper. Humpers. Yes. Also and well course, delivered by uh, Kevin Bacon. They're confident that, you know, yeah, we can. We took this one we out. Took, we, right. we can take out the others. 
and they see that right. they, they climb they've up proven that with sufficient firepower, which they have, they can they can deal with this. Yes, these are not immortal, impervious monsters. Right. They can be killed. So that's two of the four down. Unfortunately, we also learned that, yeah, it looks like, and maybe they even have a psychic link between them, these, these creatures, because they learn, and they learn fast. Because now they're hesitant to come up above ground, and that's when, you know, they announce, like, you know, we can't shoot through dirt. It's the best damn bullet stopper in the world. And so they start making a plan, like, all right, Bert and Heather, you still got your Jeep, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll come, we'll come get everybody, and we'll get all get out of town together. And just as she says that, the worms somehow know and attack their Jeep and destroy it. Yeah, that might be the most, like... That might be the most, maybe the most, um, I mean, granted, it's a movie about, like, underground monsters, right? But, I mean, that might be the probably the biggest stretch of having to suspend your disbelief, because it's like, what, yeah. were they listening in on the conversation or whatever? Yeah. Or is that just it, random? Yeah. It is a little convenient. That's the only one. That's the only scene that I have a complaint about. And it's meanwhile, a very, like, it doesn't matter, but it's, yeah, it's the only one. Meanwhile, back at the town... We, the, the monsters are also kind of studying the buildings. Like, they want to knock these buildings over or dig underneath them. And that's when poor Nestor, who is, you know, probably one of the weakest structure, you know, it's, it's, it's a mobile home. One of the monsters knocks it over, knocking him to the ground. And they're, of course, yelling, you got to get off the ground. You got to get. And this poor guy is panicked. He's just had his home knocked out from underneath him. He tries to get up on this big truck tire, but. It doesn't do him any good. And Nestor is killed and pulled under the ground. And Melvin reacts, has a huge reaction to this, which kind of was one of the reasons I thought Nestor must have been his dad. Because this is when Melvin first really breaks down into tears and is yelling, you guys got to do something. You got to do right, something. Right, he's finally broken. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, it doesn't, it didn't have to be his dad for, you know, that's a break anybody because even everybody else's you know again another member of their town has been taken you know another member of their family has been taken away exactly so now they come up with another great plan they realize you know what we have this bulldozer tractor you know the thing weighs over 30 tons you know they can't lift 30 tons there's no way they can right (laughs) we'll get on that and we'll roll on out of here. And, and Miguel's like, well, we can't all fit on the bulldozer. Well, we got that old semi-trailer. We'll drag that behind it. All right. We got a plan. Yay, we got a plan. And, and then a, they look. Another great cut over. Tractor's like 200 yards yeah. away from where they are. Right. The camera sweeps and you can see that it's not exactly remotely close. Miguel comes up with a solution that right next to the building they're hiding out on is a little riding lawnmower. And he gets, you know what? We'll start that up. We'll let that go. And if they like that noise, they can chase that off while, you know, one of us goes to, to get the bulldozer. It's like, all right, we got a plan. And of course, Val and her both argue which one of them is going to run for it. And like, you know, I'm better at. Dr- Fred was, I'm better at driving. It's like, well, not while I'm around. Look, I'm younger and I'm faster. And he's like, I'm older and wiser. Yeah, well, you're half right. And they do their little, you know, shooting for odds. And Kevin Bacon loses. Like, well, I guess I got to go because they lost. 
Like, no, I want, I get to decide who goes. And as Miguel gets the tractor going off on its own, and they both, both the remaining words start chasing it, Kevin Bacon just kind of pushes them aside and makes a run for the, the bulldoze. And we get another exciting sequences as he's almost there when the riding mower falls over and then the worms turn back and start chasing after Kevin Bacon and they tell him to stop, just stop. They won't find him if he can't make any noise, but you see one of those tongues up there, you know, swinging for his leg as he's, yeah. he's leaning. Very tense. He's like up on one foot. They all start, even Melvin joins in of making the noise to distract them. You know, again, they're going to put themselves in kind of more danger to make sure. I mean, again, they're rescuing themselves by rescuing Kevin Bacon. Sure. But, you know. They're stepping up, which is important. Yeah. And and Melvin could just be like, well, they're making noise, so I don't have to. But no, he joins in. They distract the monsters long enough for Kevin Bacon to get the bulldozer going with the trailer and, you know everybody's jumping on board and rolling out of town and they're rolling up on Bert and Heather who are preparing for war. They are building pipe bombs, yes. packing ammo. And, you know, when they get there, they're like, all right, come on, let's go. We got to keep moving. And, 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 if, and you do get the sense of their excitement. Like this yes. is, they, they weren't sure what it was going to be. Pro- certainly didn't predict this, but they were definitely planning for something like this. And much like a, couple going out for a night on the town instead of saying like which tie should i wear yeah, right. honey which which rifle should i use That's right they're discussing the ballistics yeah it's great so they gear up with all their stuff and they start heading off through the desert towards the mountains to safety unfortunately again we learned that these things are smart and they dig a trap which Right, because the tractor is slow. There was this ditch they dug. And now they realize, okay, they're not going to last long in this little trailer. They got to make for this huge uh, boulder of rocks not too far away. Too far to run. But as they're attacked, Fred, uh, keep saying Fred Ward, Bert Gummer, <laughs> Michael Gross, throws one of his pipe bombs over the side and that makes the two worms scatter. And at first they think, oh, that must have scared them. And that's when Ron is like, no. No, the noise. They're so sensitive to the noise. I don't think it scared them. I think it hurt them. You got another bomb burnt. And he's like, oh yeah, I got you covered, Rhonda. And you got this huge goes, duffel bag of them. We're going to throw a bomb that direction where we want to run. When it goes off, they're going to run away, and that'll give us time to, to make it towards the boulder. And, you know, everyone's like, all right, yeah, she's got my vote. Let's go for it. And Melvin's like, no way, man. They're fast. They're going to get us. We're not going to. And Gummer gives him this huge, re- do you know what type of revolver it was? Um, I didn't pay that close attention to it, but I'm going to guess it was like a three fifty seven or something. Yeah. And he hands it to Melvin. This will make them think twice. And Melvin's face lights up. And is like, all right, yeah, all right. We're going for it. So they throw the bomb. Bomb goes off, scatters the two monsters. Everybody goes running for the boulders. As the worms turn out, Melvin pulls out the gun. and, and He didn't give him a loaded gun. No. Click, click, click. Yeah. Bert's, Bert's, Bert's not stupid. They keep running the... 
They get to the boulder. Everybody's okay. And he's like, Bert, you, you, there's no bullets in this gun. Got you moving though, didn't it? And it's this real great look at, I mean, again, Bert could have He was said, so right, satisfied Melvin. with himself. Melvin, you stay here. You know, we're, we're all going for it. But no, he's like, yeah, take this and, you know, we're going to run for safety. Yeah, the look on his face when when uh, he realizes that when, you know, when he when he when he notices that um, uh, Melvin's figured it out that just that look of that self satisfaction it's it's a blast. What I also appreciate too is the fact that Bert handed him a gun that he knew wasn't loaded, um, which of course Melvin later confirms. But if you notice, he opens the cylinder to check anyway. Yep, yep. He's not reckless with his gun. Nope. No, no. These are very responsible. They know what they're doing. I thought that was an interesting touch. Like, he clearly opens the cylinder to check anyway. But I, I'll tell you, more than anything, it was Melvin's reaction to that hammer going on an empty chamber yes. that really nailed, like, oh, he's the Whip Pistol Award winner here. So now they made it to the rocks, but now they're trapped, and they, they can't have any idea of what to do. And that's when some bickering breaks out, especially between Michael Gross and, and Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon, like, we're trapped here. We're going to die of thirst. And, and even Heather, uh, Reba Mack is like, sounds like you guys have given up. You know, we don't, we're not going to think of another plan. And they, they do just kind of almost succumb to defeat. And, you know, cuts to a few hours later, they're still trapped on that boulder. And that's when, when uh, Michael Gross says, well, I'll tell you, if it comes to starvation, here's what I'm going to do. He holds up a point bomb and says, I'm going to light the feuds. I'm going to walk out there and I'm going to let him take me down and boom. And uh, Reba McIntyre's very good reaction of, good Lord, honey. <laughs> yeah. But Fred Ward's like, that's not a bad idea. And of it's course, not. Everybody chuckles, everybody chuckles at first like, hey, hey, zing bird. But no, it's like, no, no, no. It gives me an idea. Like, like going fishing. And they come up with the idea of tying the f- pipe bomb to the end of a rope, getting throwing rocks to get the worm to a specific location, throwing the pipe bomb out there on the rope and dragging it so that it pulls it in, eats it, and blows up. And they do it, and it kills another worm. And of course, as they're celebrating, another great little scene of them celebrating the death of the worm, and then all the guts comes splattering yes. down on top of them all. I also, I also like the little line when he's lighting the um, lighting the pipe bomb in the first place, and Bert's like, you know, it's fifteen second cannon fuse. It's like cannon fuse. What the hell is that for? My cannon. Yeah, yeah. What do you use it for? My cannon. So matter of factly, yeah. that's what the brilliance of the line is. How yeah, just, my cannon <laughs> for my cannon. What else would I use it for? So now there's one worm left, and they're going for it again and again. Pay attention to who's got the lighter and who ends up with the lighter and where the pipe bombs are and who picks up a pipe bomb, you know, just absently picks up a pipe bomb and tucks it under their arm. They do it again. Unfortunately, the last worm spits out the pipe bomb. It goes sailing through the air towards them. Everybody has to scatter. It lands in the bag full of pipe bomb. There's a huge explosion. Everybody's okay, but you know, of course, it's got to be our three leads that are. We don't know whether they maybe overran to escape the exploding pipe bombs, or maybe the blast kind of threw them. But now Rhonda, 
Val, and Earl, Fred Carter, Kevin Bacon, and Fred Ward are now a good 30 yards away from safety. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Not, not, not close enough. They're not going to make it for a run. Yeah. So just, and, and that's when the worm also revealed he is now between them and the rock. And they're like, what are you doing out there? So as they're about to try to, you know, the, the, the rest of the town again, and, and, and Burt Ward, Burt Ward. Yeah. Now I'm talking about Burt Ward. From the 19th <laughs> Burt Gummer played by Michael Gross, even gets down off the rock to smash his butt, rifle button to the ground to distract the monster. You know, these guys were just bickering before, but that's all behind them. It's now, right. I got to save these three people out there. I'm going to try to distract the monster. And for a second, it looks like the monster's gone away, and Fred Ward's about to try to make a break for the rock when Kevin Bacon stops. I'm like, no, no, no. This thing's tricking us. It's still there. And that's when, you know, they're like, all right, well, throw that last bomb you're holding, Val, to chase it away. And Val makes a very good point. Like, well, so what if we, it's our last bomb? Right. Well, what the hell else are you going to use it for? And he's like, even if we make it back to the rock, we're all going to die of thirst in three days. And Fred Ward, I want to live for the three days. <laughs> want to live for the three days. Yeah. And Kevin Bacon's like, that's about as self-serving as the movie gets. <laughs> is that line right? Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that. The haggling over the over the uh, the the price of the graboid, you know, snake again, or whatever. But that's about it. Again, it's not self-serving. No. Detriment of others. No. No. So that's when Kevin Bacon finally decides, like, he's got a plan, and he goes running off, and they're both like, "What? What do you do?" And then. The thing moves and Fred Ward goes running after, and you see them tapping down like, "Who's got the lighter? Who's got the lighter?" Rhonda realizes she's got the lighter, and she goes running off after him, and they're running and running for these these uh, this cliff edge that you know is a huge drop over the side, and the thing is chasing after him, and they're like, "Throw the bar! What are you doing? Throw the bar!" It's like, "No, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet," and he pulls the fuse real short. Okay, now. And then he throws the bomb, and Fred's like, you idiot, you threw it behind it. Which was part of his plan, because as Rhonda and Fred Ward scatter in the opposite direction, Kevin Bacon holds his ground, the bomb goes off, scaring the last monster, making it go even faster. Bacon dives out of the way at the very last second, and the thing breaks through the side of the cliff and falls to its splattery death on the rocks below. It's a pretty satisfying effect. The day is saved. Everybody celebrates. We get a nice little, you know, romantic ending, happy ending of, of the survivors. And boy, is it just such a great movie! It really is for for a movie, a kind of like um, kind of like Return of the Living Dead, a, a movie with such violence to be so much fun is is you know it's it's a it's a treat. Uh, I mean, yeah. this ends much much uh, on a much much higher note than. Uh, <laughs> Return of Living and, Dead does, but you get that same sense of fun. You 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 leave you leave having had a good time, despite but, all of the heart. But not only that, they don't pull. And this is a, a term we coined between the two of us uh, years ago. They don't Hudson anybody in this movie. No. And for the audience, Hudsoning is when you have this 
second tier supporting character that survives almost the entire movie only to be killed off at the last second just to add to the body count. Right. So named for Ernie Hudson and Leviathan. Yes, and it also kind of equals, you know, Bill Paxton's character named Hudson. But yes, it is based on Leviathan and what they unfairly did to the character played by Ernie Hudson. It added nothing to the movie killing him off at the last second like that. Right, right. Thankfully, this movie shows that restraint. It doesn't show someone getting sucked under at the last minute. It doesn't even show like a last moment like Tremor, despite the fact that there'll be sequels. But I don't know if they knew that at the time. But really, you know, we expected, you know, your first time watching this movie, I expected Michael Gross's and, and Reba McIntyre's characters to be killed. And At least one the of the char- two. I expected the character of Miguel to be killed. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. Um, you expect at least one of the two of, of uh, Bert and um, and uh, Heather to be killed. And probably either Val or Earl. More than likely Earl. No, I didn't expect either of those to die. I wouldn't have been surprised. Because they were such... But Miguel is almost the perfect... Is almost the direct example of a type of character that gets Hudson. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no. If anyone and, was going to get Hudson out of nowhere, absolutely. Like, know, he was made for that. Yeah. You would have expected what they made for the rocks at that he would be, you know, behind the group and got sucked down at the yes. last... No. And it, it makes the movie better. Yeah. Because you want all these characters to survive. Right. Well, plus it helps you. It, it helps you maintain some sort of element of surprise to not to to not feel like you know where it's going the whole time. Even though, again, it's a monster movie, so you kind of do. You've seen them, you know. I assume anyway. Um, so yeah, like there, you know, there there is some ground that it's going to retread. But at the end of the day, it kept it all fresh, which was yeah. a surprise out of this movie. Again, very low expectations for a movie that apparently Universal had no expectations for. So going into it again, not knowing much of the cast. Um, really not knowing much of it at the time and even not being sure of like really a monster movie. Like, and like, I don't even know the last time I saw a monster movie, you know um, I wouldn't call myself highbrow, but if like, if I was going to watch a horror movie, it was probably going to be a slasher, right? Like I didn't even know where this movie was going to fit in line, but it's like, what the hell you have it. Let's watch it. And yeah, it's great. Which is obviously what universal felt about it. Right. Right. Like, I mean, but... where did it fit in 1990? I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad it was made. Clearly, you know, when it didn't make it to the home video market, people found it and loved it because six years later, we would get the first of six sequels. Now, Kevin Bacon doesn't return for any. Um, Fred Ward comes back for the first sequels, Tremors to Aftershocks, as does Michael Gross, who will go on to be the star of the series. He will appear in all the movies as well as the TV show that was based on this. Um, we, you know, Fred Ward comes back only for the second one. Uh, Reba McIntyre doesn't return because as we find out in the six years between the movie, <laughs> uh, Reba has left them. The marriage did not survive the fall of the Soviet Union. <laughs> It's a great line. I gotta see that movie again. I've only to see that line delivered. Um, the third movie is Tremors Three: Back to Perfection, where they return to perfection, and the characters of Miguel, Melvin, uh, Nancy, and Mindy also all return, played by the same actors. That movie led into the very short-lived Sci-Fi Channel TV series, 
which again starred Michael Gross. The characters of Mindy and Nancy return, but they're played by other people. And while the show was fun, it didn't last any very long. And I'm not exactly sure where they could have gone with a, a weekly series TV show. They basically tried to turn the town yeah. into a um, a kind of a hot spot, like an Area 51 Bermuda Triangle type of place where all sorts of strange things happen. Oh, so it goes from Tremors to being more like, what is it, like Skinwalker Ranch or something? Yes, in fact, uh, Christopher Lloyd played a recurring character of a scientist who had a secret laboratory based around there. Got you. Because um, it's a good question. Like, when you figure, okay, it's going to be a series, it's like, what, miniseries? Like, two-part, you know? No, 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 like a TV series. Like, like how do you drag that out? It, it's a fun show. It introduces, you know, um, Walter Chang's niece takes over the store because he was killed in, in, in this movie, and um, you know, it, it, we, we get some new characters, but I like the show. It might have been able to go on a little bit longer than it did, but I almost think it's probably better that it didn't because it kept the show pure. And it was, it's not like I love the TV show sliders, but boy, did that go downhill fast. Gotcha. And I think it's better to have one good season than one good season and then three terrible seasons. Sure. So after that, they made a fourth movie, which is actually a prequel taking place in the uh, Wild West and the founding of Perfection. Uh, Burt Gummer plays his own great-grandfather, Hiram Gummer, who uh, establishes a silver mine. And that's where they first uncover the eggs for these graboids. For many years after the, the, the series went dormant, I think it was a good 10 years before Tremors 5 came along, Michael Gross returns, Jamie Kennedy uh, joins the, the, the movie series for 5 and 6. Uh, 5 takes place in Africa. Oh, wow. It's, it's really good. 6 takes place... I want to say in Alaska. It's called um, a cold, cold Day in Day Hell, right? Hell. And this is where we meet a legacy character. Uh, I really like Cold Day in Hell. It isn't as well reviewed. Uh, some A lot of people seem to, to think it's the weakest in the series, which, you know, it may be, but I still really enjoy it. I think every one of these movies is really, nothing really lives up to the first, but I find them all very entertaining. That's impressive. That's impressive. Seventh, I think I've only seen the first three. Uh, the seventh and final movie so far, but I, uh, Bert, sorry, Michael Gross feels it is the last of the series as well, is called Shrieker Island, and it actually kind of combines Jurassic Park and tremors it's 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 an extremely fun at least it goes out on a high note so you've already so it's already out and you've already seen it yes i have all seven of the movies oh right on and i think i'm i should pick up the 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 tv series that's available on dvd as well and you can get all seven of the movies on dvd in one pack all together for a really good price in fact i think you can get all seven of the movies in one pack for the same price as you would get just the first one 
just so, right. It, it's it's really worth it investing. This is this is a fun series of movies. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, anything else to say specifically about Tremors before we get into recommendations? No, not at all. Again, this was a it was a it was a fun movie to rewatch. I mean, this is one that has been on our radar uh, as a movie we both love ever since you had it. It's one we've rewatched um, a number of times, both together and individually. And then, yeah, I mean, you loved it so much. You've gone through all the uh, sequels and uh, television shows. So it was fun to re- it, it was fun to to be able to talk about it again like this. Um, uh, I mean, I, gosh, I think I've seen this movie again since, you know, maybe in the last year or two. Like this is one of the few movies that are on. Uh, it, I think we've done on this podcast that have been on very heavy rotation. Well, I've been or relatively it. heavy rotation. I owned it on VHS and I bought it three times on DVD. Right on. Now, to be fair, I bought the original movie in a special edition collector's edition on DVD when it first came out on DVD. And then later on, when there was just the four movies, I bought the four packs so that we bought the first movie. And then when the other movies came out, I was like, I should get around to getting them. I should get around to getting the other three. And then I saw, oh, well, I can buy the, the, the seven movie collection for cheaper than buying the 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 three I needed, might as well just buy them all again. So, and you know, I no regrets. What do you got for recommendations? Uh, so for recommendations, um, I guess I got a couple. Uh, I I like the original. I haven't seen the sequels. I don't think I've seen any of the sequels, but I like the original Lake Placid um, with Betty yep. White and Bill Pullman. That's a uh, really good one. I think it's an excellent movie. Uh, a movie I haven't seen in a long time. I'm not sure if it'll be on the podcast, but it's. But now that I think about it, I'm, it's one of those like, you know, I wonder if it holds up. And it actually came out at the same or around the same time in Arachnophobia. I remember that being a really fun movie, along a similar like you know again monster movie, but uh, with you know humor blended into it uh, fairly effectively. Um, I remember it being a pretty popular movie too. Uh, so that's one where it's like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I guess I recommend it because I, 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 I think I liked it, but it's just an excuse to, you know, bring that movie up as well. Um, I'm gonna have to seek that out and see if I can, see if I can find it. Um, again, along similar lines, uh, but also two kind of similar movies in Slither and Night of the Creeps. Yep, oh, I was gonna bring up Night of the Creeps, but now I don't have to. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm going to bring up the the movie I can think of that is most similar to this is Eight-Legged Freaks starring David Arquette. Yep. A really fun giant spider movie. Uh, Return of the Living Dead, which is, you know, of course, gorier and R-rated and and a bit scarier. But it is kind of, you know, that same kind of mixture of horror and and comedy. Oh, yeah. You know, wonderfully done. It's 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 more adult in in terms of, uh, well, I mean, you have uh, (laughs) Linnea Quigley nude through a lot of the movie. It's very gory. I wouldn't say that it's very vulgar, though, at all. Um, no, it's just an excellent but, movie. Like, listen to the podcast if, if you want to know more about that one. But that's that's a wonderful movie. To the point, we should point out uh, these the Tremor movies are family friendly. They're mm-hmm. not family films, but they are. You know, if you've got you know, I, I would say anybody, any kid, but twelve and up can watch these movies. Although oh, it's sure. PG thirteen, so I guess thirteen and up is what I should be saying. And I would say, yeah, I'd say that was a, I'd say that's about right for sure for the, um, for the effects and for the, some of the, uh, the, the deaths as it were. Yeah. 
And then I would also just, it's not really similar, but it's just another fun kind of monster movie, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, yes, Deep Blue Sea is great. So those are our recommendations. Um, Anything else? No, that's all I have. I should also say, obviously, I I do recommend the sequels as well. Oh, uh, do you have, we'll say, six or fewer degrees between this movie and uh, Magnificent Seven? I mean, like six degrees of Kevin Bacon that matched Kevin Bacon to the Magnificent Seven? Why not? I mean, it feels like we have to, right? Like, we should. It's weird how how similar Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon is to our little thing. Yeah, it is odd. It's also it's also slightly harder. It's one less degree. But I feel like it's only fair that you link Kevin Bacon to uh, the Magnificent Seven. All right. Well, I, I, I was I, I'll do Kevin Bacon then. Kevin Bacon was in Mystic River with Eli Wallach, who was in the Magnificent Seven. There you go. And who else did you have? You obviously had someone else prepared, but yes, yes, I totally did. Oh, did you? You didn't? I... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who else would I have done? Oh, I don't know. I figured maybe Fred Ward. Uh... Yeah, but I did Fred Ward when we did Time uh, Time Rider. Oh, that's right. And I did them again when we did Remo Williams, the uh, adventure begins. Uh, you got one or? No, no, I, uh, no, I was, I figured you were going to, you were going to do the Kevin Bacon one. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to remind you as always, you can follow us on Instagram at, and Twitter at movie Matt Sorois, all one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. And you can, uh, Look for us on Facebook at the Movie Asylum of the Weird, Bad, and Wonderful. As always, we thank you for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Stay gold, people.